Good morning, Cornerstone. <laughs> that was really lame, guys. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> um, I've been meeting a no- number of new people the last few weeks um, because that happens every fall around here. And so I realize I need to do this more often. If my phone number is not in your phone, it should be. I mean, yeah, I'll come bail you out of jail. I hope I don't have to. But you should have my phone number so you can text me. So if my phone's not, if my number's not in your phone, take out your phones right now, and I'm going to give you my phone number, and they're probably going to throw it up on the screen. Or maybe not. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. All right, my phone number, 567-215-6452. And Pastor Bill Johnson, in case you didn't know my last name. And I met some of you for the first time again this morning. Text me. Here's what I'd like you to do. Send me a selfie. Um, And then tell me what you're doing in Boston. That gives me some idea of who you are. And there's so many new people every year. There are constantly new people here at Cornerstone. It's one way that I start to get to know who you are. By the way, um, a bunch of you don't have your pictures on our Cornerstone Connect. Cornerstone Connect is the way that we kind of keep track of what's going on around here with everybody. Pictures there are great, too. So so if you're on Cornerstone Connect, then upload a picture to that. I realize, too, that um, that with, if you're new around here, um, you don't know anything about most of us as pastors other than we stand up here and yap at you. So, um, so I'm going to try to get us over the next few weeks, the pastors, to tell you a little bit more about ourselves. Um, a couple people who the last couple weeks have asked me whether I'm married. And um, yes, I am, but my wife loves my grandchildren more than she loves me. So we spent two weeks in Columbia, South Carolina, and Marla has stayed the last two weeks. She comes back in a week and a half. Here's the deal about Marla, and I can say this because she's not here, um, and you guys wouldn't rat me out or anything, I know. Um, Here's the thing. Marla's the nice one of the two of us, okay? Marla's got a primary gift of mercy. So if something's going on in your life, just come and talk to Marla, and she'll feel your pain, and she'll love on you, okay? If you come to me with your pain, I want to teach you something so you get out of it. Don't be so stupid next time right? So, so you're going to want to get to know Marla at some point. And um, she would be even shy that I would even say that. But, um, but when we were trying to decide whether we would come here to pastor um, at Cornerstone, um, we've been here over a year now. Um, one of the things Marla said to, to our daughter, um, Christine, the one that's in South Carolina with the grandkids, she said, I don't know how to be mom to that many, you know, all those young people in that congregation. And Christine said, just do what you did with all of us. And so that's what Marla will be um, in your life if you'll let her. So, so, um, so come up and greet her and kiss her, but don't rat me out, all right? At some point, I'll tell you, show you pictures of my kids, but um, not today. They're not that important. All right. Actually, I love my kids, and I love talking about them. I got a daughter who's 30, a daughter who's 27, a son who is 24. Um, daughter number one's married with three grandkids. Um, daughter number two is available. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> Because I like grandkids. Um, and my son is probably not available. Um, we hope he's not available because we like the girl he's dating so much that if he breaks up, we're throwing him back and keeping her. All right. After this sermon, we're going to be a third of the way through um, our fall unified discipleship theme. A unified discipleship theme is just a time when we try to get sermons and small groups to link up. So that what you hear in the sermons on Sundays, when you get into your small group, your community group, you get to then chew on it some more and creatively look at it and and try to to, to apply it more deeply 
in your life. So normally, and we don't do it every year, but normally um, I try to have a unified discipleship theme each fall. And what, it, what it's intended to do is get us all thinking about the same things and setting a tone for the year ahead. So if we go to all that work to do, uh, you know, coordinate small groups and, and um, with the sermon themes, then obviously the themes we're going to pick are going to be something we think is, is significant. The reason that we're doing this unified theme on the tangible kingdom is because we want to set the tone for this year together, um, a tone where we expand our perspective of what is the gospel, that we enlarge our perspective of what is our mission as the followers of Jesus in the world. So this theme of the tangible kingdom, our goal is to to think about it on Sundays together and talk about it in small groups so that we will live out the gospel more fully. Now, um, some of you are not in small groups. Lots of you are in small groups that may not be using the um, the actual the kingdom uh, tangible kingdom primer. Here's what I want to encourage you: um, if if these sermons start to to stir some stuff in you, the tangible kingdom primer is a resource that will give you creative and fresh ideas for how to live out the gospel in your generation. So um, I was actually surprised. Um, I used the same resource in my last church a couple years ago. I was surprised how many people, after the series was over, they then went through the Tangible Kingdom Primer with a couple other friends because it just start, started to let the, the thoughts and ideas permeate their lives. And so, so it was being... There are a number of people who went through it two and three times with other small groups or with spiritual friends. So the book will actually cost you... It'll set you back about 25 bucks. But I'm pretty sure that you will get things there that will help you to be a more, more faithful and committed follower of Jesus Christ. And it really is written as a resource for this generation of the church um, to, to make Jesus real in the world. So I encourage you, um, go online, find the book. If you have a hard time finding it, get in touch with me, and I'll, um, I'll point you to where I got a whole bunch of them. Okay, um, first sermon, Pastor Danny talked about what is missional. And we looked at the Great Commission, and we tried to get you to realize that the Great Commission isn't about going someplace. The Great Commission is about making disciples. And I love Danny's point that he made in that sermon that we tend to think that the Christian life is about not sinning as much, or it's about learning more truths. But what Jesus says the Christian life is about primarily is each of us making disciples. Not going someplace else and making disciples, but as we are going through our lives, Jesus says that he wants all of us as his followers to not just be growing as disciples, it's assumed that, but that we would be actively helping other people grow as disciples. Then last week, um, Pastor Hojan um, helped us explore the idea of what what is the incarnation. How do you wrap your head around the idea that God became flesh and lived among us? And, and Danny, one of um, Hojan's points there, um, the word that the, for flesh is really meat. God became meat. He became a human being and dwelled and lived among us. And, you, I mean, that is such an incredible concept. Um, it said, it's been said um, that, that throughout human history, there have been many men who wanted to be God. But throughout human history, there's only ever been one God who wanted to become man. And that, that concept of the incarnation, the very core of all of Christianity, is just massively huge. But you know what's interesting? There's a corollary that grows out of that. 
Because Jesus came and and took on flesh and lived among us, when Jesus left, he sent us the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would dwell in us as his followers. And the scriptures say we have become the body of Christ. We, his followers, because the Spirit of God is in us, we are, are the presence of Jesus in the world to continue the mission of Jesus in the world generation after generation. So, so we look at the incarnation, and it is awesome. It's equally awesome that God has now entrusted to us the mission of Jesus as the body of Christ in the world. And so we come today. And next week, we're going to look at what is community. But we come today to look at the question, what is the gospel? I mean, it's, it's a word that we hear constantly, um, but, but have we thought about it and reflected on it enough? And, um, and so Hugh Halter in The Tangible Kingdom, he says, gospel is a, a simple word for something big. Gospel is a simple word for something big. And I want to tell you that after to trying to wrestle with this concept of the gospel in the New Testament this week, I'd like to tell you that that statement is a major understatement. Gospel isn't just something big. It is so huge. There's probably not a page on the New Testament that in some way isn't referencing back to the gospel. And so we have so many different facets. And just one word to describe all of those different facets that is, I mean, it's gigantic. It's it's full of mystery. It's full of grace. It's full of truth. The gospel is something that is absolutely massive in the scriptures. And so, um, so I want to, I, I, as I was looking through it and trying to figure out how do I make a sermon come out of this, um, with all these, these so many different references, I think 114 different, 144 references to gospel in the New Testament. Trying to figure out how to make sense. And it dawned on me that we really have to explore three concepts in the New Testament if we're going to understand the gospel more fully. We have to explore the concept of gospel. We have to explore the concept of kingdom. And we have to explore the concept of preaching. So the first concept, gospel in the New Testament, something like seven Greek words translated all those times um, to, to, with the, the English word gospel. The most prevalent Greek term is the, this term that, that is euangelion. Angelion is the word that we get angel from. And so, so it, it, basically, angelion means somebody who is sent. Somebody sent a messenger that is sent from somebody else. And the prefix you in euangelion means good. At its root, the gospel is a message that is good, which is why many of our translations just translate it as good news. And so there's a, a, transla- a, a, a scholar who tries to train um, Bible translators and how to translate the scriptures, especially Wycliffe Bible translators. And this scholar says this about the gospel, trying to train those people. He says, in a number of languages, the expression gospel or good news must be rendered by a phrase. For example, news that makes one happy or information that causes one joy or words that bring smiles or a message that causes the heart to be sweet. I like that. At its very, very root, the gospel is a message that brings joy. Remember what the the angel said when Jesus was born? Behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. I bring you good news that brings great joy. At its core, this is what the gospel is about. And when we realize that 
that this is good news. And don't we like to announce good news? The reason we tell jokes is because we like to announce something that causes people to smile. That's why we announce engagements. That's why we announce when babies are born, when we get a new job. Announcing good news is fun to do. And when you realize that, that at the core, the gospel is great good news that brings joy, it explains to us why, why followers of Jesus for 2,000 years, conversation after conversation, have kept on announcing the good news about Jesus. And so the gospel continues to our generation. Um, let's never lose sight of that. I mean, we get, we get the world kind of, kind of convincing us that nobody wants to hear about, about Jesus, nobody wants to have spiritual conversations. What the scriptures tell us is this is good news that brings joy to the heart. And, um, and let's not forget that we are the stewards of that good news. So let me read for you from Luke chapter 4 about Jesus announcing the gospel. And you'll see that, that this good, good news is expansive. So Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 16. It's up on the screen behind me. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth. Let me make sure I got the same translation. Yep. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this is written. Now keep in mind, he did this on purpose. He didn't just randomly kind of flip through and put his finger. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that that captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue looked on him intently. Then he began to speak to them, The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, I don't know what strikes you when you read Jesus' announcing of the good news because this is the beginning of his public ministry. I don't know what strikes you about it, but it strikes me that it has way less to do with doctrinal truths, as important as those are, than it does with meeting people where they are and giving them good news so that they will get to a better place. How is it that that the gospel in so many of our our churches and so many of our lives has gotten reduced down to this, this set of beliefs that you're supposed to agree with so that you can become a Christian. When you listen to Jesus talk about gospel in this passage, you realize that this is good news for the poor. It is, it is that, that the gospel is restoring vision, physical, spiritual, all kinds of vision. The good news is about releasing those who are under any kind of bondage It's giving freedom to those who are in oppression. The gospel isn't just a set of beliefs. The gospel is an action of God in the world to bring us joy and to address what is wrong in the world. And I want to encourage you, can we at Cornerstone make sure that we never reduce the gospel down? That we see how big this is and how comprehensive it is so that we enter into the lives of of people in the world. The good news, that in Jesus, God came. That now is the time of God's favor. 
is glorious. Let's keep that in mind whenever we think about the gospel. Second biblical concept, that, though, that we have to talk about, because, yes, it's good news, but what is it, right? Okay? So the second biblical concept that we have to explore is the biblical concept of kingdom. Like gospel, it's another big one, but interestingly, kingdom basically has about one word that's translated constantly as kingdom. So let me show you the close connection between gospel and kingdom. Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of of the kingdom. Matthew 24, 14. Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Mark 1, 14 and 15. After John, he's talking about John the Baptist. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And then we read through the rest of the New Testament about Philip and James and John, that they're constantly proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Because this news is supposed to bring joy. What then is the kingdom? We're used to thinking of a kingdom as a place. But in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is not a geographical place, the kingdom of God is, is the word that one of the, the best words we have to talk about wherever God's will and God's ways are being followed and lived out. So where God's will and God's ways are being lived out, there the kingdom has taken root. There is the kingdom of God. Jesus says that, that this isn't something someplace else, some other day in the future. Jesus says now's the time. The kingdom is here. In Jesus, God has broken into the, to human history and God is, has put into motion his plan to care for the poor, to redeem the lost, to restore what is broken, to heal what has been sick, to give joy where there's been dis- despair. In Jesus, God has broken in to tell us, I love you so much that I'm staying engaged in your life and now I want you to engage in the lives of of other so others so the good news of the kingdom is this we can now because of jesus live the life of the kingdom here's what the life of the kingdom comes down to communion and praise and relationship with god loving one another deeply from the heart and making the world a better place in jesus name for those who are neglected in any way we get to live a whole different life that is the life of the kingdom is radically different than anything you will find anyplace else in the world. Right? A life of communion with God, love for one another, and missional living in the world. Let's live into that kingdom. The good news is we can do that through Jesus. We can make the world a better place in Jesus' name. Well, then the third biblical concept that comes and in, in constellation with, with the word gospel and with the, the, the word um, um, kingdom is the word preaching. Um, Fourteen Greek words translated regularly by the English word preaching. So it's another one of those kind of broad, multifaceted concepts in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, the word that, that I mentioned before, euangelion, the one that's translated good news or gospel, sometimes it's translated as preaching the good news. It's because there is a message 
that, that someone is sent to proclaim. So, so sometimes that word is also used as, or translated as preaching. The most common word is a, word, a Greek word called caruso. And caruso is, is to announce something, to proclaim something, to display something, to, to show something to others. So let me read you a few scriptures that tie these things together. Back to Luke chapter 4, we just read. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach, euangelion, to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me, Jesus says, to proclaim, caruso, freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Luke chapter 9, when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach, caruso, the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Acts 5.42, every day in the temple and from house to house, the early disciples, they continued to teach and preach Caruso, the message that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is, uh, there's so many of them, but just one more, um, Acts chapter 8. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach euangelion, the good news. To understand what is the gospel, we have to understand gospel, kingdom, and this concept of preaching. There's a serious problem, though, when we in our generation think about preaching. What comes to mind when you, when you read that, that word in the Bible of preach? Usually for most of us, the first thing that comes to mind is what some seminary guy who can come up with words like euangelion and caruso, what he does on Sundays in a church. That's what we immediately tend to think of, a sermon in a church on Sunday. Let me, let me kind of burst a bubble here. We call it preacher preaching, and you say, hey, our preacher's going to come up. Most of the time in most churches, what happens on Sunday morning is teaching about the truths of God and about how to live the life of Jesus, and that is great and good. Preaching is announcing that in Jesus, God has broken through and come. And that's a component to Sundays, but i got to tell you, most biblical, quote, preaching... It's supposed to happen in our lives every day as we're going through and having conversation with seekers and sojourners and, and just announcing to people that Jesus, is born, that Jesus has been born. And the problem is this. When we read the word preach or come across it and think of the professionals who understand Greek and Hebrew, and we think the New Testament is referring to that, we're buying into a lie of Satan that somehow tries to convince us that we can't announce the good news. And the scriptures are so clear that when it uses that word, we should maybe talk, use the word spiritual conversations or announce or share because that's what's going on in the New Testament. And so if we're going to understand this, this what is the gospel, we've got to realize that every single follower of Jesus is invited to announce and share the good news. How? By having conversations about Jesus in the world. Satan wants you to think that you're not supposed to talk about Jesus. But that's simply... And Satan wants you to think that people don't want you to talk about Jesus. You know what I found? People love Jesus. They may not like Christians, okay? People that I talk to, if I can talk about Jesus, there is an openness to explore who Jesus is. Having spiritual conversations about Jesus. Just plain announcing to people that in Jesus, God has come because 
He loves us enough to live with us, displaying that there is a different way to live. We don't have to live the commercialism and the greed and the, and, and, and the selfishness that's in the world. There is a different way to live. Having spiritual conversations is something that we as followers of Jesus are invited to do every single day. All right, all this said, let me wrap this up. The gospel comes with some invitations. It is huge and it is glorious and it's gigantic. Let me share just three of the invitations of the gospel. The first invitation of the gospel is to join it. That makes sense. First invitation is to join it. The way we join the gospel is we confess our sins, ask for forgiveness, and ask Jesus to become the leader of our life for the rest of our lives. Now, um, let me talk to those of you who are here who are seekers. All right, because because we are actually really blessed as a congregation to most weeks have a good number of people who are trying to figure out the claims of Jesus, seekers or sojourners. And so let me talk to you if you're here as a sojourner. First of all, we are really glad that you're here, and we really hope that we represent Jesus to you well, so that He is attractive, so that you want to become one of His followers. And so I want to encourage you. When, you've, when it's time, when you've examined the claims of Jesus and you're ready to step over the line of faith, it's so simple to do. Just talk to God and say, Dear God, I confess my sins. Number two, will you forgive me? And Jesus, will you come into my life and lead my life for the rest of my life? That's all that it takes to step into this new way of kingdom living. You don't need some seminary guy to tell you that. All right? When you're ready... I want to encourage you, don't delay, and here's why. You don't know it yet, but seekers, there is a life on the other side of the line of faith where the Holy Spirit comes in and just fills your life in ways that, that you can't know until you decide to become a follower of Jesus. So when it's time, don't delay. The other thing I just want to say if you're a seeker sojourner here is if you step over the line of faith, Let somebody around here know, okay? Number one, we want to praise God with you. But then we also want to help you grow in the first steps of your new life as a follower of Jesus. And we'll talk to you about things like baptism, that kind of stuff. So the first invitation of the gospel is to join it. Second invitation of the gospel is to live it. To live out the kingdom life in our generation. Um, Hugh Halter in the Tangible Kingdom Primer writes this. He says, we've seen the same thing over and over again. Even among Christians, our conversations range from politics to the economy to parenting to marriages and careers. And yet one painful reality is usually clear. The gospel has not touched down on planet Earth for many Christians. When and where the gospel lost its place in the everyday life of believers is a mystery. But there's no doubt that it is not informing most of our basic life issues. We often end up shrinking the concept of the gospel down to a small set of beliefs or doctrines that have no practical effect in our daily lives. At the same time, we neglect to live out the greater story. Imagine what could change if the good news of Jesus was allowed to shape and inform all the areas of our lives. So second invitation of the gospel is to live into the gospel, which means trying to figure out how does the fact that in Jesus God invaded our history, how does that fact affect my soul and my journey? How does that truth that in Jesus God came, how does that shape the way I look at at gay marriage, 
the way I look at my own sexuality, the way I look at children, the way I look at my vocation. How can I live into the gospel, the good news of the kingdom? And um, another comment that Hugh Halter says, he says, Unless, until the gospel gets bigger in our lives, we'll have a, large, a hard time displaying it to the world until it gets bigger in our lives. So I just want to, this is a basic question that's every week, but I'll ask it in terms of this week. What will you do this week to make the world a better place in Jesus' name? Because at some point, all the missional talk has to actually do something in our schools and in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and with our friends. Somewhere we gotta, we got to make this talk about Jesus actually bear fruit in doing things for the poor, in caring for the oppressed, in holding up the dignity and honor of every person as stamped in the image of God. There is something that informs everything that we do as Christians. We know that every person is a unique creation with a fingerprint of God, the, the icon, the image of God upon them, whether they're saved or not. So we treat people radically different as we live out what is the gospel. And then the third invitation. It's going to make sense. We've already referred to it. Third invitation of the gospel is to share it. We have great, great good news that would release people to better ways to live, that would free marriages to be more fully what God wants those marriages to be, that will infuse purpose into people's lives as they connect their lives to the mission of God. So the third invitation of the gospel is to share it. And, and Jesus talks about it. In Luke 4, Jesus says he was compelled to share the gospel. This is what he says. He says, I must announce, share, display. I must announce the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, because that is why I was sent. Here's how the apostle Paul said it in Acts 20. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of displaying, testifying. The task of displaying, testifying the good news of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, we have the good news of God's favor and God's grace. And it's here and it's available for people now. Let's join the gospel. Let's live the gospel. Let's share the gospel. And then this last, um, this last verse from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he says, Announcing the good news, he says, is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. And listen to this last sentence. He says, How terrible for me if I don't share the good news. I pray that that will become more and more true of all of us. How terrible for us. How our life will be stunned if we don't share the good news of the kingdom that Jesus has come to show us the love of God, to forgive us our sins, and to release us to live the, the fullest lives that we can possibly live. This is our message for our world. So pray with me. Father, these are, these are so many of these things, these concepts of, of what is mission, what is incarnation, what is gospel, what is community. They are they're the, the, the foundation stones that we need to grasp to not just be Christians, but to live the missional life of Jesus in the world. So would you help these 
foundation stone concepts to, to inform what we do every day of the week so that this kingdom life that you have for the world, this life of abundant joy, can be experienced by more and more. Help us to be faithful, to join the gospel, to live the gospel, and to share the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.